0: Good morning. I uh, spilt a little juice on my pants. I don't think you can see it that well. It's kind of a mess. All right. Sorry, communion was rough for me today. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I, I love the opportunity I get. I'm so thankful for Pastor Matt allowing me to uh, have the pulpit every once in a while. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4. We're not going to get there just yet. I want to start out with uh, just a reminder about our study in Ephesians. So uh, we're in the transition period into the second half of the book. The first half of the book focuses on what Christ has done for us, what God has done in providing us salvation. And Pastor Matt made the transition last week. In chapter 4, we get to uh, the moment where Paul says, okay, in light of all of that, in light of what Christ has done for you, there is something that God requires of you. You are not saved to merely live your life however you want to now. Now, because Christ has saved you, there is something, there is a way in which he desires for you to live. And so that is the foundation that Pastor Matt laid last week with some characteristics here, humility, gentleness, patience. Ultimately, Pastor Matt talked last week about unity, and Paul continues that theme in our passage today. Before we get to our passage, I want to ask you a couple of questions. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Been on a mission trip? That is a lot of you. How many of you have ever served uh, at something that was intense uh, in church, like a vacation Bible school or something like that, something intense where you felt, man, we are ministering this week? Let me ask you a couple of questions. In those moments, did you ever find yourself, whether it was on a missions trip, a VBS, some other challenging missions experience that you had in serving Jesus with other people, did you ever have an experience where you found yourself growing closer to the people you were serving with? Ever experienced that? Maybe you've experienced where you started out not really knowing a person that you were serving alongside with, and then you connected through your mutual service. Has anybody experienced that? When I was a junior in high school, I went on my first missions trip. It was with our school's National Honor Society. We went to southern Texas and down into Mexico. And it was a great trip. and we had a wonderful time, but me and Brian Zabala, he was a senior at the time, I was a junior, were the only two guys in National Honor Society. I might tell you something about the guys at our high school, right? We were the only two guys, and obviously it meant that he and I, sure enough, would be serving alongside each other basically the entire time. We were the only two guys there. And so we, we were friends, and we had played soccer together, among other things, but I, we found ourselves through the course of the week really, you know, growing closer together, really connecting, because, I mean, first of all, you know, there were all these girls that were with us, and so we kind of had to stick together, um, but we were serving alongside each other. And that developed a relationship between us that, although we're, I wouldn't consider our relationship close today, I can still look back and think about the time that he and I spent on that trip together. There was another couple on the trip with us, too. Uh, the Renault's were on that trip with us. And in fact, uh, we, we housed with the Renault's on that trip. What a, a wonderful, godly couple. What an experience that was. And we maintain that connection even today. They're so encouraging to me. And so the question is if we find ourselves in those situations, and we, when we're serving, and we find ourselves growing closer together with each other, and it's such a powerful experience, then well, why don't we do it all the time? Right? The reality is nothing can bring you closer to other people more than serving alongside each other. There's just something about it. And so our challenge today builds off of what we started last week, this idea of unity, and ultimately it is through our service that unity is achieved. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 if you haven't already done so. We're going to read the whole text as we begin this morning. We're going to be covering verses 7 to 16 today. Again, unity through service. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. And it reads, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. "...to prepare God's people for works of service," there's our key, "...so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become, a mature, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." as each part does its work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture that is going to challenge our hearts and our lives today. Father, I pray that we'd be sensitive to how your Spirit is moving and convicting us. Father, I pray that we would continue to desire to serve you so that we can grow up into unity and become more like your Son, Jesus. We thank you that Christ has made all of this possible through His death on the cross for our sins and for His resurrection. And Father, we pray all these things in His name. Amen. We're going to look at uh, an outline of sorts, four main points that I believe this passage draws out, four main points. The first starts in verse 7 and goes down uh, to the beginning of verse 11, the source of unity, the source of unity. Notice verse 7, if you will. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This idea of gifting, of giving something, is a theme that is repeated uh, throughout these verses that we're going to read. This is not about salvation although salvation is also a grace gift of God, what he is talking about here is the idea of spiritual gifts. And we can read about spiritual gifts in passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and right here in Ephesians 4. Spiritual gifts. So what he starts off by saying is that Christ is the one who is going to give us these gifts. And ultimately, we're going to sneak ahead here. Ultimately, the form of the gifts in this passage is people. People are the gifts. But let's first look more about Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. There's that idea of gifts once again. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We're going to stop right here for a second because in this passage, uh, we find a difficulty in interpreting what exactly Paul is saying. It says, what does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Lower earthly regions is kind of a weird, that's a theological term, weird, it's kind of a weird way of saying it. And so because of this, there are basically three main interpretations as to what exactly Paul is saying when he says that Jesus descended to the lower earthly regions. The first possibility is that he came to the earth. It's merely about the incarnation, that he came to the earth. The issue with that interpretation is, well, why did he just say that then? Why does he use the term lower earthly regions? Second interpretation, the most popular interpretation, uh, is that this is referring to his death. It is referring to his being buried in the tomb. Often this idea of lower earthly regions, especially in a Greek culture, had that connotation of death. And so that's the most popular interpretation. The third possibility, the third interpretation, is that when it talks about the lower earthly regions, he is talking about going deeper into the earth. Some see this as being him actually going to hell, which I I don't think is correct. Another possibility is that he is descending into what is called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Now, my job as a Bible teacher is not to answer all of my students' questions. It's to question all of my students' answers. And so I'm going to pull... Uh, the teacher card out for a second and say, hey, you can go home, you can study it and figure out which interpretation is the correct one. All ah, right. See how I did that? That's pretty convenient, right? Now, all that being said, whether you believe uh, this, this idea of descending to the lower earthly regions is him coming to the earth him being buried in the tomb, or him descending even further into uh, Hades or Sheol, the place of the dead, the point of this passage is clear. The point of this passage, of these verses, of him of Paul quoting Psalm 68, is that Jesus is the victor. The imagery here, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people, it is, the ascension is him in triumph. The ascension is Christ in victory. He has conquered death, he has conquered sin for us, and now he is returning the victor. That's the point. And rather than be a king that says, all right, now pay homage to me because I'm awesome and I am the victor, he responds in his victory by giving gifts. This is a lot about Jesus. Jesus. He deserves all of our worship, yes, but rather than simply demanding our worship, he decides, you know what, I'm going to give gifts to those people that I've set free, to those captives. Isn't that tremendous? Jesus cares about us, he loves us that much, not only did he die for us, not only did he rise again for us, not only did he provide the, the sacrifice, that allows us to have a right relationship with Jesus but then he also gives us the strength and the power needed as we des- as we desire to walk worthy of the gospel as we desire to walk worthy of our calling Jesus does it all And so we have to understand that the source of our unity, that which connects us, that which brings us together, that which allows us to serve with each other side by side, is the unity we have in Christ. Pastor Matt mentioned last week how difficult of a thing unity is. Unity is hard. Watch the news, right? Unity is hard. The only thing, the only thing that can provide unity among people, true unity, is a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's a parent to a child, whether it's to our family here in this room, the only thing that can bring us true unity is Jesus. He is the source. Of our unity. He is the reason why we're gathered here today. He's the reason why we have our relationships with each other. He is the source. So, Paul starts out as we think about this idea of unity through service. Paul reminds us of where he left off in the last passage that the source of our unity is Jesus. Let's look at the second point that is made in this passage the agents of unity. So Jesus is the one who gives the gifts. Notice what the gifts are, verses 11 and 12. It says, it was he, that's Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, beginning of verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. To prepare God's people for works of service. Of service. So here we have the agents of unity. Let's look at each one individually. First we have the apostles. The apostles are the sent out ones. They are representatives of Christ. I believe very strongly that there is no such thing as what we would call a capital A apostle still today, that that office is only for those who were called by Christ who were under his teaching ministry and witnessed the resurrected Lord. We see that play out in the beginning of Acts when they um, select Matthias to replace Judas. However, I believe very strongly that there are lowercase a apostles today, and often we see this role play out in what missionaries do. That they are sent out, they feel God's call to go to the world, to go wherever he has for them, to represent Christ, to a lost people, to start churches, to see the gospel spread. They are representatives. Next we have prophets. Uh, Same thing with prophets. The role is a little different now. Uh, Big P prophets are those that not only spoke truth to God's people, but also predicted the future. Again, I believe very strongly that with the completion of the Bible, there is no more need to predict the future. The future's already been written about. But we still certainly do have lowercase p prophets who have the giftedness of God to preach and teach God's word to bring about life change in people who communicate God's word in such a way that it produces a result in the life of the one who hears it. That's the role of prophets. Next we have evangelists. Evangelist's role, again, they have a burden, a desire to reach lost people. The Great Commission is something that is very important to them. I'll be honest, of, of these four roles, I have a lot of respect for evangelists. It, it's not something that comes naturally to me. You would think, oh, Matt, you're so cool. and No, that's, that's not me at all. I'd rather stay at home and, and sit and you know, do nothing. So I have a huge respect for people who are like, man, let's use everything we have, every interaction we have with lost people uh, to bring about Jesus. And some people are just gifted. We all need to do that, but some people are just gifted in that. I think that is so cool. That just have that ability, that giftedness to reach lost people. And then finally we have pastors and teachers. Really, with the Greek construction, these two words are one title. It's one role. Pastor, teacher. And their responsibility is to shepherd the flock. Not to lord it over them, but to do so with humility and grace and love. Now what these passages are communicating to us is that God has given Mount Calvary Church from the moment it started up until this very moment, God has raised up and given as gifts men to lead our ministry. That is a cool thing. We have Pastor Jonathan. We have Pastor Matt now. They are gifts from God. Gifts. Notice what their role is. Verse 12. It'd be nice if it said, hey, their job is to do everything, right? (laughs) Then we're off the hook, right? We can just sit back, relax, listen to the sermons, you know, go on our happy way. But look at what their role is. Verse 12, the beginning. So what is it that these people do? It is to equip God's people for works of service. Their job is to help empower you to go out and serve God, not only in this church, but also in the world. That's what their job is. To equip God's people. And so every time that Pastor Matt comes up and preaches, every time you have one-on-one discipleship with PJ, whatever the situation is, as you interact with these men who are leading our church, who are gifts of God to our church, that is what they are tasked to do, to equip you to go out and serve. In some way, and don't take this weird, but in some way they're kind of like our dads, right? It's kind of like a parent and child relationship. We just had this, we just had this on the way, on the way to, to church this morning. I don't know about you, but the way to, on the way to church every week is always an adventure, right? In the car, you know, one week everyone's like falling asleep on the way to church. The next week everybody's, you know, screaming and hollering. It's just like... Make up your minds, right? (laughs) Like, figure out what. But on the way to church this morning, this illustrates this so beautifully. Julie and I see our role as parents. Your role as parents is not to step in and fix all your kids' problems, right? That's not your job. Your job is to empower them to fix their own problems, right? That's what pastor's roles are. So on the way to church this morning, Daniel says, "Ow, what's the matter, Daniel? He says, Oh, Ben hit me. It's like, okay, you know, I'm sorry. It happens, right? We got five kids. Somebody's going to get hit eventually. (laughs) So we're driving down the road a little bit longer, and it's silent in the back after this happens. Daniel speaks up and says, Hey, dad and mom, uh, can you tell Ben not to hit me? He says, Hitting me is a sin. Okay, you're right. My response is not, Ben, don't hit your brother. That's not my job, yet. I mean, there comes a time where, yes, I have to step in and intervene, right? My job is, Daniel, why don't you talk to Ben and work him through what he did wrong and help him? That's what I want my kids to have, right? I pulled out Matthew 18. You know, if someone offends you, go to him first. You know, if he, if he confesses, ask for your forgiveness, good, you've won a brother. I said, Daniel, you can win your brother right now. These are deep theological discussions on the way to church. This is, this is kind of what we get into sometimes. But I want to teach them, I want to teach my kids, hey, I am not some miracle worker who's going to step in and fix all of your problems. That's never what I was intended to be. The reality is our pastors aren't that either. No offense, guys. They're not some miracle workers that can just step in and fix all of our problems, but what they do do, what they can do, is they can equip us, they can minister to us in such a way that we can serve, be unified as a group with each other. That's what their role is. Spiritual dads. Nobody call them dad of the service. I'm sure some of you want to now. Eh, it's so weird. But the point is that God has given these gifts, these men, these leaders in the church to equip his people for works of service. They're gifts. So they are what I call the agents of unity. God has decided, Christ has said, here are these men, they are going to allow you all, they are going to serve you in such a way that you can attain unity. Point number three, here we get to the meat of the potato, as I like to call it. And whenever I say that, my students are like, what? There's no meat in a potato? And to be honest, I don't even know what that statement means, but... The meat of the potato. It sounded good. Somebody said it to me once. Here we have the means of unity. The means of unity. Verse 12 and 13. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, the goal of the church is unity, because unity is going to produce all of the things that come after this. Unity is going to produce, ultimately, Christ-likeness. That's what unity does. I think about it in our marriage, right? Julie and I's marriage. It is a picture of Christ in the church. Ultimately, our marriage, its purpose, is to produce in each of us Christ-likeness. That's the goal. So service here, which is what our message is about today, unity through service. Service is the means through which you and I become more like Christ. And the reasoning behind that is pretty simple, right? Of all the people who have ever lived, who is the greatest servant who has ever existed? way Jesus, right? He's the greatest servant. And so that is who we are to emulate. Notice the progression here. So first, it starts with service. Service. Oh, by the way, for what it's worth, this is all saints. All of us must participate in this. There's a, there's a common statistic out there that... Uh, In a given church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I'm here to tell you that's not good enough. Right? We cannot have 20% of the people doing most of the work. We're all in this together. All of us are required to serve the body of Christ. First Corinthians 12 puts it beautifully. As we think about uh, the body and everyone having its part, right? we have ears and we have thumbs and we have knees, right? We all have a different role to play, different functions. All of us are required for this. All saints must participate. And the beauty of it is, although Paul doesn't get into it in this passage, all of us, all of us are gifted to carry this out. All of us are gifted. You have a role to play at Mount Calvary Church that no one else could fill as good as you can. So again, the progression. So first it starts with service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. What does this building up look like? This idea of not only growing in number but also growing spiritually, growing in our relationship to God until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity. Becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We all want unity, right? Nobody ever woke up and said, man, I hope I have a lot of conflicts today. <laughs> we all want unity. And here it is simple. The means through which we as a church, you with your husband or, or, or wife, you with your children, you with your coworkers, your boss, the people that work under you, your neighbors, the way that you reach unity with the people around you ultimately is service. 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 I don't want to forget this. I get my own box. Yes, this is so cool. I get to add to this giant structure over here. I've been waiting for this my whole life. But ultimately, if you and I are going to walk worthy of the calling that we have received, it is going to require service. Service. We all have a role to play in this. It's interesting that uh, I've preached a number of messages here, and I think four of them have been about uh, service. <laughs> Why is that? Maybe, maybe God's really been drilling into my heart, into my life. Hey, Matt, you know, get up and do something. Service. Last time, uh, I, one of the last, I can't remember, they're all blurring together because I talk about this so much for some reason, um, but one of the times we, we, I left off challenging you, uh, are you a helper or a servant? Ultimately, this idea of service is that it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. Service requires you serving people that you don't particularly care for. Service often requires you doing things that you don't particularly like to do. But the beauty of it is, with our body here, God has provided us with all of the giftedness necessary to where we all can serve in ways that we all enjoy. Isn't that cool? I, my vision for our church is that we have a church that is functioning in such a way that everybody is operating in their giftedness And everybody enjoys that. Service doesn't have to seem like a chore. Because again, Christ has gifted you to serve. Whatever that is. little plug for place. Yeah, I see my place people in the back, you betcha. Go go to place. Figure out what your giftedness is. Figure out how you can serve. What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. And if you haven't spent any time with Elizabeth, I'm going I'm to brag on her a little bit. If you haven't spent any time with Elizabeth, uh, get to know her, man. She's phenomenal at sitting down with you and saying, Man, here's how you can serve better. Here's how you can implement your gifts. What a cool experience. Service. Ultimately, we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We become mature, attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ when we are all willing to serve. Last point, we're done. Last point. The results of unity, the results, the results. verse 14 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ in Christ likeness From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The first result of this unity is stability and faith. Stability and faith. I share this. There are a number of statistics out there on the subject. Um, I've seen statistics range from anywhere from like 50% all the way up to like 85% of teens young people and i tell this to my class often not as a scare tactic right i'm not like oh you know half of you aren't going to love jesus in 10 years but the point is that statistically speaking most of these young people right here i'm looking at you now right most of these young people right here will not be in the church 15 years from now whoa i believe this passage tells us why What is going to keep them around in 15 years? Serving. Right? What leads to stability in your faith? What makes it so that you will no longer be babies who are tossed around by every wave of teaching? What does it require? It requires the unity that comes when you all decide we can serve. We have a role to play in this church because you do. It is our pastor's job, our leadership's job, to equip you to do what only you can do in our church. Isn't that cool? And if we can do that as a church, if we can commit to say we're going to give our young people opportunities to serve, then we truly can raise up the next generation of leaders who are going to lead in this church and other churches and around the world. What an exciting thing to think about, right? requires you all to serve. And that's true of any of us, right? What's going to keep all of us attending Mount Calvary Church for the long haul? It requires that we're invested in this ministry, that we are serving, that we have a role to play, that we are valuable to the success of this church, to what God is doing here. And we all have that part to play. Stability in the faith. The second The last result, verse 15, Instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Becoming Christ-like. That's the second result, becoming Christ-like. This requires that we maintain truth and love. Truth and love. There are two dangers to ministry. The first is a departure from truth, a compromise with the lie that Satan and other false teachers would try to to infiltrate our church with. That's the first danger. As one of our church's elders, I am strongly committed to standing on the foundation of the Word of God. It is only through the truth of the Word of God that we can see lives change. We are committed to that. But for me anyway, I struggle with the second danger, chilling indifference with respects to hearts and lives, troubles and trials, and the people who face them. That's where I need to work my own life. We need both, truth and love. If we can maintain those two things through the unity that comes by our service, we can all grow in our Christ-likeness. I love verse 16 because verse 16 sort of wraps up the whole thing. From him the whole body, joined and held together with every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. This last phrase, lock this into your brain, as each part does its work. That's how we get there. The roadmap to unity, to maturity, to raising up the next generation, the roadmap to likeness, stability, starts with service. That's what launches us out into all of these other things. My challenge is simple as we close our time together. How are you serving? how are you contributing to what God is doing here in Mount Calvary Church today? If your answer is nothing or not much, in love I am telling you that that is not good enough. That is not how Christ wants you to live as a follower of Him. I would challenge you to Go see our pastors, talk to our elders, deacons, talk to Melissa, talk to all of our ministry leaders and how you can find your place, how you can use the giftedness that God has given you to serve this body. I think if I'm being honest as a church, I think we've come a long way, come a long way. But this is what's going to take us to that next level to be the church that God wants as his bride, that we all serve and grow in unity with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful text that so clearly lays out the obligation we have as followers of you, what you have done for us, how you have blessed us with every spiritual kind of blessing. Father, our response is that we work hard after you. Father, we thank you that you provide the way for us to do that, that you have given us leaders in our church to equip us for works of service. And Father, I pray that everyone that can hear the sound of my voice will respond and how they need to respond to this passage, being confronted with the question, how am I serving Father, I pray that we would all take some honest introspection about our own lives. I pray that we would consider what you might have for us as we seek to build up to maturity, to unity, Mount Calvary Church. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for your spirit which will empower us to live this out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.